You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October 5th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Summer, National College Football Writer. 24 7 sports chris as you know as a frequent listener to the college football daily i usually on on our midweek episodes tuesday wednesday and thursday like to do individual profiles of schools and top storylines but i looked at the slate for week six and i just can't there's just too much going on i feel like we need one more umbrella type episode this week just to set the stakes for what is I think part two of a two-part separation Saturday twosome that's just going to be absolutely phenomenal. So I have my list of the 10 most important games of the weekend and we're going to parlay that with what you have coming out Tuesday morning, which is your first crack at a projected top 10 playoff. So I, I think I want to start with yours. Okay. Like let's, does that sound good to you? Let's start with yours and then we'll get, we'll get to mine and we'll just talk about both. Yeah, for sure. So we're not going to be tricky with it. Just give me your, your one and two. And, and actually I would like to know who you have won between those two SEC powers. Yeah, I think first, like real quick, I just want to go over how we project this. The committee doesn't look at the AP rankings, so we don't either. They might mirror each other a little bit with these rankings, but I try to do exactly what the committee does every week, which is they group teams into the top four pods and essentially they keep moving down the list. So you put your best four teams in a pod together, then decide who's number one out of that group. You go to your next four pods and you kind of rearrange it. And I try to do things in a similar fashion. So I am projecting the college football playoff rankings like the committee would. And right now I have Georgia number one and Alabama number two. It's a, it's a bit of a coin flip, but I like the Bulldogs number one. Is that a, uh, and, and worth noting, we have a, a month until the actual rankings come out. Uh, yep. Who is the better wins? It kind of depends on who you want to, who you want to ask. I think Florida is the best win of the group, but the Gators losing to Kentucky kind of takes some of the shine off of that. But I think what Georgia did to Arkansas is really notable. They shut the Razorbacks out, a Razorback team that had previously been a top 10 program without much question. And then I think people are a little down on Clemson, justifiably so, based on what we've seen with that offense so far. But when you talk about and consider the hype that was going into that game, the talent that is still on Clemson's roster, the health that Clemson had at that point, you weren't missing Brian Razee, you weren't missing Tyler Davis, you weren't missing a host of other stars. I think Georgia winning that game at a neutral site is pretty significant. I'm not trying to take anything away from Alabama's wins over Florida and Alabama's win over Ole Miss was just as dominant as Georgia over Arkansas. But I think Georgia's resume as a whole is slightly stronger than Alabama right now. They're also beating teams by more. Georgia's average margin of victory is 36.4 and Alabama's is 25.8. So Georgia's beating teams by about 10 points more on average than Alabama is right now. And when you're splitting hairs between what are two of the clearly best teams in the country, I just had to go with Georgia by the slimmest of margins from the committee's perspective. Okay, Georgia over Alabama. Chris, who do you have rounding out your top four? Iowa at number three and Penn State at number four. Okay, well, I mean, those two can argue about it until they're blue in the face, but that'll get settled. That's the field. That's the beauty of this week. It's awesome. Cincinnati's five. Is that my guess? That's my guess. Is that correct? Cincinnati is five. And then another big 10 team at number six in Michigan. And then seven is Oklahoma. Eight is Oregon. Nine is Ohio State. And 10 is Oklahoma State. Oh, gosh. I guess you had to do that because of the head to head. 
the committee looks at head-to-head results. And even if you think Ohio State is a better football team than Oregon, and I still do, despite the, what we saw that day in Columbus, you have to rank Oregon ahead of Ohio State, especially through five weeks when we don't really have a significant resume to look at for either team. Obviously, Ohio State has a better loss than uh, Oregon does with Stanford, but you got you have to respect the head-to-head result there, especially early in the year. Could one argue that like a BYU or a Michigan State should be in the top 10? Absolutely. I was doing a lot of back and forth with myself on Oklahoma State versus BYU and Michigan State. I think there's certainly an argument for BYU and Michigan State to be in over both Oregon and Ohio State. But I think Oregon, based on the win over Ohio State, which is the best win of anybody in the top 10, and then Ohio State by nature of the eye test. And they've looked great outside of that game against Ohio State. You could kind of pick nits with Ohio State, but you can tell they're one of the most three to five most talented teams in the country. I think they would be in the top 10 for the committee based on the eye test. And we've seen the committee use that eye test reasoning time after time after time. We're having teams with early losses higher up in the rankings than we expect. And I I think that is what would happen with Oregon and Ohio State. So I'm just going to say, I appreciate you making the list because I know it's, it's tough to do on October 5th. I would push back a little bit and we don't, we don't even need to talk about it because it doesn't matter. But the Ohio State eye test, they didn't look good against Tulsa. They didn't look good against Minnesota. I think, I think you're letting recency bias hit you a little bit here because they, they, they did impress me with that 52-13 win over over Rutgers, which was at Rutgers. So that was, it's not an Ohio State podcast. It, it's whatever. Last one. <laughs> it is a Rutgers podcast, though, sometimes. Yeah, it I is a Rutgers that. podcast. Would Kentucky and Wake Forest, were they remote considerations for a top 10? Or would an Arkansas, a Notre Dame type of school, Ole Miss, be ahead of those guys? I had Kentucky right there with Michigan State and BYU as potential consideration. I think Kentucky's win over Florida was pretty significant. Wake Forest is not there yet. They do not have a win of that nature uh, thus far on their schedule. Other than Virginia, which was really impressive, I don't think Wake Forest has a team a win over a team that's above 500 right now. So they have a little bit more work to do in that regard. In terms of Arkansas, I, I think they would have an argument alongside Ohio State and Oregon. But I just think fresh off of that, dominating effort by Georgia. It's difficult to kind of put Georgia and Arkansas in the same conversation in the top 10. And I lean towards Ohio State and Oregon in that regard. Perhaps that's a mistake in my part. I think Arkansas has two of the better wins in the country. Although that Texas A&M win uh, looks a lot worse than it did maybe two weeks ago. So I think all of those teams are certainly in the mix. I think I think that's probably the end of the group. I think Auburn might have an argument to be there at the very back end of like the top 16. I think Auburn's the last team I would have considered, but Arkansas, Arkansas certainly had an argument. Thanks for making the list. I know it's, you do it every year, every week, and uh, it's, it's probably difficult. I have a, uh, a sort of list here, but it's not really like a, it was my way to, to organize the best games this weekend. Cause there's just a lot. I want to get excited for Notre Dame at Virginia tech doesn't make the cut. I want to get excited for SMU at a Navy team that just won its first game. Doesn't make the cut. I want to get excited for Wake Forest at Syracuse. The Carrier Dome. Sean Tucker. A lot of hype for Wake Forest. Doesn't make the cut. I don't even have Michigan State at Rutgers making the cut. To kind of be a college football nerd to appreciate any of the last four games I just mentioned. But I, th- I mean, the, the fact that those are games 11 through 15 of the week give or take a few, depending on how you feel about them. That's, that says something a lot. So for the most important game, I wanted to go Texas OU, but I'm not going to do that. It's obviously Penn State at Iowa. I had a conversation with someone Monday morning about the, the Big Ten path to the playoff, and I 
worked my brain into a pretzel sort of thinking about all the different scenarios. Uh, this game feels really important to both. It's vital to both. I think Iowa's path to the playoff is winning this game. And if you lost the Big Ten Championship, I still think you have an okay argument. According to PFF, Iowa has the 53rd toughest remaining schedule and Penn State has the fourth toughest remaining schedule. So while Penn State could afford a loss here, I don't think it's in the position with what's left on the docket to start getting those losses. And I think it needs an insurance W for playoff purposes. All that's to say, I don't know who, who this game uh, is uh, most important to. Yeah, if we're talking about who needs it more, I, I agree it's Penn State. I think Iowa, based on the schedule you mentioned, I, just to read off the rest of their schedule, it's Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. That's not scaring anybody. Um, and if you're P- Iowa and you get to the Big Ten Championship game with one loss to Penn State, and it was a close loss and you win that, you're getting in the playoff. No question. Uh, you're buoyed by that early season win over Iowa State. You're going to beat a top 10 team in the Big Ten Championship game. So you're good if you're Iowa. There's a clear path there. Penn State, they have to run through a landmine, basically. Not only do you have to play Iowa on the road, you got to play Ohio State on the road. You have to go to Maryland. You have to go to Michigan State. You host Michigan in the middle of November. And that is, that's just brutal. And I mean, you're a playoff lock if you run through that. If you run through that and lose in the Big Ten Championship game, I can see Penn State still making the playoff. But I think it's pretty unlikely that they're going to run the table there. And I think you have to take care of business in the cross-division schedule if you're in the Big Ten East. And that's kind of the task in front of Penn State this weekend. They have to figure out a way to beat Iowa so they can start kind of the slugfest that is the Big Ten East this year. I'm jealous of our Penn State reporters. Like a guy like Tyler Donahue, think of all the big games he's going to watch this year. If I was single and had an unlimited budget, I think right now I would go latch on to Penn State or any of these Big Ten East teams because I just got hyped up thinking about who they have to play. Uh, that's uh, it's going to be great. Uh, the Big Ten East, for sure, for my money, the best division of football. I know the SEC West truthers will come out now. So Well, I, I'll say this about the Big Ten East. Like Rutgers is a pro- I, I texted with somebody of Ohio State earlier today, um, somebody on the coaching staff, and they were, I know Ohio know. State blew them out, but well, I mean, sometimes we've got contacts. Now keep, now keep going. They were very impressed by Rutgers, which was the topic of conversation there. And if you're very impressed by Rutgers and you're Ohio State, like nobody, nobody in that division is an easy out. And Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan State all have legitimate arguments to be top 10 teams. That is a brutal division right now. And whoever comes comes out of that, I think is going to deserve their spot in the college football playoff because I think the Big Ten East right now is probably tougher than the SEC West top to bottom. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, DM a uh, ACC offensive coordinator now. So just to make myself feel better. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. All right. Number two, Texas OU. I'm probably going to go more in depth with, on this game with Blake Brockermeyer on Friday to make our game picks. going to ask him about playing at the game. You'll be there. As far as playoff picture, Big 12, I, I, I guess the Big 12 would be rooting for Oklahoma. It probably hates both these schools at this point. Texas already has one loss. I can't see Texas running the table because don't forget, Chris, don't you forget this. Uh, these two teams could meet again in Dallas later in the season for the Big 12 title game. So whoever wins this game is probably going to have to beat the other opponent again. So playoff picture, Oklahoma. If Oklahoma loses this game, the Big 12 doesn't get a team in the playoff. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think it would be really tough sledding for Oklahoma to run the table the rest of the way, um, given that you have to maybe play Texas again. You still have to play Oklahoma State. I think they still have to play TCU, Iowa State, and 
a number of other really quality teams. Yeah. The big 12 is the big 12, um, from top to bottom, I wouldn't say it's the best conference, but it has the most parity when you remove Kansas from the equation and quality parity. It's not like the ACC where everybody can beat everybody because everybody's not that good. I think the big 12 legitimately has four to five top 25 teams and a lot of teams that could beat anybody week to week. And that's what makes the conference so exciting. And I, I admit I'm a little biased. Like I grew up watching the big 12, but I think the conference is really strong this year, top to bottom. And Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. So if Oklahoma wants to do what it wants to do this year, which is win a national championship, that was kind of the expectation. You have to beat Texas here because the rest of the schedule doesn't really set up for you to run the table easily. It's a really interesting game because Texas and Oklahoma both have identities at this point. Oklahoma is this defensive, which is a nice, <laughs> it's a change uh, for them. Uh, they are one of the best defenses in the country. I don't think without much question. Texas is an offense built around Bajan Robinson and a pretty dynamic rushing attack and a quarterback who's a little streaky, but is dangerous with his legs. So that matchup is going to be fascinating. It's just, it's really interesting the year Oklahoma finally has the defense that its offense is lagging behind. Sooners are three and a half point favorites. And I forgot to mention Iowa is a one and a half point favorite. Chris, we got to go a little bit faster with our next, our next eight. We have an obligation to our listeners to do this thing in under 20 minutes. Um, but I appreciate your Nick Benito analysis. I got Michigan <laughs> at Nebraska. Pro Football Focus says Nebraska has the toughest remaining schedule in college football. Yes or no, is, is this a trip up spot for the Wolverines? I think had Nebraska not beat Northwestern the way it just did, it would be a trip up spot for the Wolverines. And Nebraska is certainly good enough to beat Michigan, but I don't think Michigan is going to be sleeping on Nebraska the way I think some other people would. They're not going to dismiss them. Nebraska is a really good football team. In a different universe, they could be 6-0 and quite easily. And we'd be talking about Scott Frost in a much different way. So I do think it's a potential trip up spot just because Michigan has not proven to be explosive through the air, which is kind of the differentiating factor between the best teams in the country. So I think Michigan can get caught by anybody. I don't expect it to happen this week, but I do expect it to be close. Michigan is a three and a half point favorite. Georgia, Auburn, Deep South's oldest rivalry at four. Auburn has the second toughest remaining schedule in football, according to Pro Football Focus. Chris, if I told you JT Daniels doesn't play, does it change anything for you? Nope. I just don't think Bo Nix is going to have a lot of fun. Me neither. Did you get that? Did you get that meme reference or did that go right over your head? I didn't get it. There's a, there's a very popular meme on uh, Auburn Twitter and stuff saying Bo Nix is having fun. But anyway, I I think, I think George is going to cover in that game and win pretty comfortably. Boise state versus BYU. Boise state's skidding a little bit. Uh, BYU. This sounds ridiculous. The schedule is really hard and and they need to get Jaron Hall back uh, or Romney or whoever they're on their third string quarterback. Very remarkable what's going on out there in Provo, by the way. This is really exceptional stuff from Kalani Sataki's program. If I read out the rest of the schedule for BYU for you, Boise State, which isn't ranked anymore, Baylor, which is in Waco, at Washington State, home versus Virginia, and then on the road at USC in the season with some other, you know, crummier opponents mixed in. If they went out and you had, you know, one loss Big Ten, one loss Big 12, one loss ACC, I think, I think BYU would have to be in. I would be I would be surprised if BYU got in if you only had one loss teams from the ACC, the Big 12 and the Big 10. Like the schedule is much better than it was last year, but you still are only probably going to have one legitimate top 25 team from that schedule, which is Arizona State. Everybody else, they're really good wins and it's quite an accomplishment to go 12 and 0 against a schedule like that. I just think the fact that BYU is not in a power conference is going to weigh it down more than it would a Cincinnati which has that win over Notre Dame. Arkansas and Ole Miss, this is my number 6 game they're going to be playing for a New Year's 6 birth. This was the game last year where Matt Corral threw like six interceptions or something like that. You know, the winner of this game will be the one that was 
less physically and mentally bruised by their loss last week. Yeah, I think this will be a really interesting test for Matt Corral. Um, Barry Odom dropped eight the entire game. Matt Corral got impatient. I think he threw six interceptions. I would expect Old Miss to win this game. I think they're just slightly more explosive. And I think Arkansas is probably a little beat up after last week, as you said. But I agree, it is for a New Year's Six Bowl. And it's a really fascinating, fascinating game of two contenders from the SEC West that we weren't expecting. LSU is playing Kentucky. LSU has a really tough schedule remaining. So as much of this as much as this game is about Kentucky being five and zero and coming off an emotional win over Florida, and it just got announced that Kentucky versus Georgia in two weeks will be the CBS game of the afternoon. So I'm circling this game as a trap for the Wildcats, which is crazy because the opponent's LSU. I think this game means more to LSU because if you lose this one, I think the wheels come off because you still haven't played Arkansas. You still haven't played Ole Miss. You still haven't played Alabama, of course. You're going to play A&M later in the year. You just lost to Auburn. If they lose this game, and they, I, I can see this being a situation where they're looking for a new coach in Baton Rouge in a few months. Absolutely. I think, I think there's a lot swirling around that program right now. There's a lot swirling around Ed Orgeron right now. And there's a lot of off-field stuff that is going to get a lot more mentioned yeah. uh, when sure Ed Orgeron's three and three versus winning a national championship in 2019. And as you said, that schedule is brutal. And the way LSU is playing right now, like I could easily see seven and five as a realistic possibility, maybe even six and six, given the next wow. five weeks in front of it. Like LSU has a problem. I think Josh Pates mentioned this many times on his show. Like they can't run the ball. Their defensive lines as good as it's been in a couple of years, but their secondary is not quite as good as we expected. And if they don't get hot, like they could easily lose the next six games. I'm not going to predict that, but yeah. Kentucky, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas is a heck of a slate and they've got to get three out of those five for you to feel pretty good about Ed Ogeron. And I wouldn't predict that right now. Yeah. I forgot about the Florida game. Yeah. The three and two right now. So that was my number eight game or that was my number seven game. Number eight, Alabama at A&M. Can you believe how much the season has changed on the Haynes King injury in the first quarter, a, a game against Colorado in Denver, a sleepy game that was on no one's radar. And it's, it's really shifted in, in some ways, the college football landscape this fall. Yeah, it kind of sucks. I was excited to see what that offense looked like under Haynes King. Um, Haynes King gonna, is... You were going to go to this game. You wanted to go to Alabama A&M. Yeah, absolutely. I would have... If I could have like had this game meant a little bit more, I'd be driving from Dallas to College Station uh, during the middle of the day trying to do the double. But um, A&M, for whatever reason, and I, I would point to a young offensive line, a quarterback that's not consistent, and a lack of impact receivers that's just not playing up to its talent level. And I hope that this season, and it, they're probably going to be 3-3 three and three after this week, is a good opportunity for Jimbo Fisher to reflect on his system and what he does in that West Coast scheme because he doesn't have the receivers right now to run it effectively. And the quarterbacks, especially when they're young, are a problem in a very complex system and a very complex scheme. It haunted Kellen Bond for three years. He was very good as a senior, but he had had four years in that system, essentially. And I think Jimbo, looking at the rest of college football, is going to have to make some adjustments eventually. Haunted. Wow. We've got several national title winning coaches and sort of facing adjustment periods. Jimbo Fisher, Davo Sweeney, yeah. Ed Orgeron. The the first two will get chances to do it. I don't know if Ed Orgeron will get a chance. Mac Brown. Um, so uh, number nine, I have, I had to go to the Pac-12, Stanford versus Arizona State. Arizona State isn't dead yet. Stanford was left for dead after its week one loss to Kansas State. It's alive. Tanner McKee looks great. Arizona State, Jaden Daniels had a great showing against UCLA on Saturday. They won that game. So that's just something to watch. Chris, don't don't forget to watch that one. And then number uh, 10, this is insane that I'm going with this. You're going to roll your eyes. Temple <laughs> at Cincinnati. 
It's a Friday night game. I know Cincinnati is going to be a 30-point favorite, but Temple beat Memphis last week. Dewan Mathis, a Georgia transfer. He's hot. He's, he's playing well. It's a Friday night game. Cincinnati now has the target on their back. I'm just saying in a year of chaos, in a year we're drawing parallels to in 2007, just keep an eye on it. I'm not certainly not predicting Temple to win, but keep an eye on how, how Cincinnati does as the hunted. Yeah, I mean, credit to Rod Carey. Like, they got embarrassed by Rutgers week one, and for them to be three and two, I think it was really impressive. And Dewan Mathis had probably the best game of his career against Memphis. I, I don't expect it to be a trap game for Cincinnati. I think what I really like about the Cincinnati team compared to other group of five contenders we've had in the past is Cincinnati doesn't play like a group of five team against other group of five teams. They tend to dominate those games. They tend to win by a lot. They tend to own the line of scrimmage. And I expect Cincinnati to do that against Temple. I expect them to respond. And it's why I think Cincinnati is a legitimate college football playoff threat in a way a lot of other group of five teams in the past have not been. Did you think I was going to go Vanderbilt or not? I was hoping that's a that's a heck of a game between powerhouses, but uh, absolutely. I mean, the state of Massachusetts hasn't seen any good football recently, so I'm glad that game's coming to it. Absolutely, uh, that one didn't go over my head. All right, Chris, joining us. We went a little long today, but I it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to do almost a uh, part one of of a two part preview thing for this week's College Football Daily Slate, and we'll get a little bit more into the weeds throughout the week. But we appreciate you joining us, our producer Lance Glenn, putting this longer than usual Tuesday episode together. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great day. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.